like Star Wars? Sure, we all do. But do you want to know more about the Old Republic? Most notably, do you want to know more about the Old Republic Annihilation? Well, we can help you out with that. That's right, Star Wars Beyond the Films is happy to announce that we have an Annihilation Contest going right now. All you have to do is fire off an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com with the title Annihilation Contest. Good luck, and may the Force be with you. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. Welcome to episode number 46 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website, StarWarsReport.com. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at facebook.com slash swbeyondfilms. But enough about how you got here, let's get the show started. I am one of your hosts, Nathan P. Butler. With me as always, my stalwart companion and the defender of the EU, Mr. Mark Herleman. Hey, Mark. Hey, Nathan. Fans of all Star Wars and Expanded Universe stuff and Whistler, of course. Can't do anything without this little droid harassing me. Starting to see it that way. I'm so glad to be here. This is actually a topic that uh, will be a lot of fun. Most of our topics here at Star Wars Beyond the Films are a lot of fun, though, because if you're a Star Wars fan, you know Star Wars is a lot of fun. Although I must say, of all the topics, this is one of the saga stories, the, the, the plot lines, that has a tendency to be the most depressing, the most dark, the most sort of a, you know, you will never win uh, type of attitude here. So I guess to get us started, Mark, what is it we're discussing this time? Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. We stay up late at night pondering many, many things about Star Wars. But this episode, we take a look at the recently ended Night Errant Saga. <laughs> That's so sad that it ended. Consider this your spoiler warning, boys, girls, fans of all ages, because here we go. Now, this one, we got what? We got Influx, the free ebook that came out. It's not even really an ebook. It's a little short story that came out that kind of sets up the events of A Flame, which is the first arc of the story. Then we had the Night Errant novel that tied in with it that set Between A Flame and Deluge. And then we had just wrapping up Escape. Now, you also have in here extras of the Night Errant Gazetteer and Number Zero, which preview number one and some novel sketches. What was that gazetteer, gazetteer, or however it's pronounced? The gazetteer was another of those StarWars.com articles. In this case, it was one that just kind of described the general region in which all these stories were taking place. You might call it Sith space, but uh, kind of giving some detail about some of the places that would show up in the series, some places that wound up not really showing up much in the series. Just kind of giving a miniaturized, essential atlas type of approach to where these stories were going to take place. Ah, okay, okay. Well, that makes more sense. Now, you know, I I think 
I think the reason why I'm so fond of this story myself is I, I have become a huge fan of John Jackson Miller's works. Uh, he is my Bendis for, for lack of a better description. And, you know, this, this is an interesting series because like the art, like I have slight issues with the art at times. Like I, in the first aflame arc, like I really had a problem. Like it seemed like they didn't quite know what they were doing with Kara Holt herself. She was kind of morphing. Like it seemed like in the first, a flame arc she just had this nose man it was like it didn't matter what was going on they had that nose centered and it was always the biggest thing on her face and it was either like an up angle looking up underneath her nostrils or it's pointing right hey i just remember that nose was pointing out at me so much that it really kind of took me back a little bit but now you know we're at the end with escape and i absolutely love what they've done with the character i mean she she just looks fierce they've got her playing this character called mercy she's undercover but I think that, you know, you said it was dark. And I think for me, I like the darker stories. That That's probably what it is in a nutshell. Plus, it's the Sith side of things. You know, I would say in the last five, ten years, we've really watched the Sith come into their own. You know, I mean, before the prequel trilogy, the Sith were just off limits. We didn't know hardly anything about them. And now we're watching these these older eras be explored and the Sith are everywhere. And so much so that their history is almost as convoluted as the continuity of the EU. I mean, and yet it's fun because they find ways to retcon it all and make it work. I mean, you know, I, I think about the novel here. The novel, we get some aspects of a family of the Sith and, and, and the way that that set things up for Deluge. And then you have all this whole, the whole drug uh, addicted people on the Deluge drug, which kind of felt like legacy in a sense with Cade, with his uh, death stick addiction. But there were a lot of deep pressing things going on. And, and, and as you say, you know, she's deep in the heart of Sith space and it's very, very depressing, especially with influx. If you've read that, you find out, you know, her whole team gets wiped out. She was just supposed to be a member of, of, uh, Vanner traces, uh, group. I, I, I think I've said it right. I'm not having it open in front of me, but, Oh, they all get decimated. And she is completely alone. Luckily she was the one that was doing all the planning so she's not completely ill-equipped, and it happens to be her home sector where they found her as Jedi long ago. So there's a lot going on for her, and it, I think that, to me, is why I'm kind of upset at the fact that right now, as of this moment, Escape is the end of this saga. And it's like, there's so much more that they could still tell. I I, I hope they're pulling the, the classic legacy and KOTOR we're done and here you know a few months later we're going to get another arc that kind of wraps things up even more I don't know I, I I really I feel like it's it's got so much more potential and there's still much, so much more story still to tell that calling it done now seems premature you know you say that uh, he is sort of your bendis when it comes to Star Wars I would say that John Jackson Miller uh, I mean I really like this stuff. the stuff that he's done that's been really good has been really really good uh, but I'd say that he is very much in that sense like, say, a, a J. Michael Straczynski to me in that sense. In that when he was doing Knight Errant, or not Knight Errant, Knights of the Old Republic, outstanding series. Stuff he did with Lost Tribe of the Sith, outstanding series, really cool the way it all winds up connecting together by the time we get to the end. But if he is J. Michael Straczynski, uh, the, the Babylon 5 creator, for instance, uh, that you can maybe compare those two in terms of bigger sagas with specific points that are all meant to weave together, the Knight Errant is sort of Crusade, uh, which was the spinoff that was very short-lived of what we saw with Babylon 5. Or perhaps you can also say that uh, Knights of the Old Republic War is sort of his uh, 
what was it Voices in the Dark, I think it was, the direct-to-video Babylon 5 sequel that was supposed to be more but didn't wind up going anywhere, or Legend of the Rangers. Because, I mean, before we even touch on Night Errant, i got to say, Knights of the Old Republic War felt like it was absolutely pointless. There was no need for that story to be there whatsoever. Uh, it was just an excuse to throw in the Mandalorian Knights stuff. It resolved basically nothing. We had left our characters in a solid point at the end of Knights of the Old Republic. It had a solid end. We didn't need that tale told. Unlike Legacy War, which needed to be told because of the loose ends that were left at the end of the last regular issue of Legacy. Uh, Knight Errant suffers the same thing that Babylon 5's spinoff Crusade suffers from. It seems like it was canceled before it could actually do what it needed to do to complete its story in any real sense. Kara doesn't wind up making it back outside of the Republic, and just like Crusade, which set up some intriguing possibilities of what will come in the future, in that case it was like an Earth ship that seemed to have shadow technology and such during Crusade, here we've got the awesome foundations of Vilia Calamandra and the Sith family struggle, the Charge Matrissa. He even makes it a point to set the beginning of that, uh, the beginning of the Charge Matrica in 1066 BBY, a purposeful reference to the year 1066, which was the Battle of Hastings, where William the Conqueror winds up with the, uh, leading the Norman invasion. You know, purposeful connection to history. I love that. Great setup. Holy crap. All this Sith stuff going on, a lot of it is one family duking it out to be the one to finally get the inheritance, so to speak, from essentially what is now their grandmother, though the first charge major was between the, uh, the initial generation of children as opposed to grandchildren. And yet, while that was set up so beautifully in the novel, with its incredibly petulant, hard-to-stand Kara Holt, the comic series with the more heroic, more likable Kara Holt never really does much with that. We see Lord Damon, we see Odeon, we see them clashing, and to a degree there's a little bit of a clash in Escape, but we really get very little, if anything, out of that. Lots of great setup, no real payoff. And we wind up essentially with three story arcs. That's 15 comic issues, if you don't count number zero, that just repeats part of number one and part of the novel with some sketches and stuff with it. And if you don't count Influx, uh, 15 comics and a novel that really don't feel as though they ever got up to speed. I think, I, I would almost argue that Invasion got more up to speed than Knight Errant did, because you have your first storyline that has to introduce Kara, introduce Damon, introduce Odeon, get us a sense of who these people are. Then you've got the second storyline of her going back to her homeworld and all this stuff, which is interesting enough to a degree, but then you've got the whole convoluted, well, see, there's this drug that's causing people to just basically be lazy all the time and not run their little submarine things all the time, and, and here's this pilot who's helping with the drugs, and there's this Sith hut, albeit, you know, gives some of the great visuals, a Sith hut fighting in zero gravity, which was awesome. Um, and then you get Escape, which is essentially all these mysteries finally being revealed of, holy crap, there was more to Kara's family than we realized. There was more to the attack that Odeon carried out, and the reason why he carried it out, where he carried it out, that wind up killing so many people. And yet, that's it. You know, uh, see, all these, all these abandoned children, they are like my family. The end. Yeah. I mean, what about Kara's other sibling that is supposedly out there somewhere? Uh, what about all these other Sith out there? What about the Charge Matrigo? What about Vilia Kalimandra? All storylines that are essentially, at this point, it seems, dead in their tracks. And I would have more hope that they'll be picked up again sometime in the future if John Jackson Miller were not now scheduled to pin Kenobi, which sounds like it'll be great. 
But at the same time, it means he's not doing Knight Errant, presumably. So the series has ended well before its time. Again, much like Crusade, making him the Star... Making a, a JJM the Star Wars equivalent of JMS. Unfortunately, because he's quite the storyteller when he has the time and breadth and scope to really do it and do it justice. Well, and that's excellent points, because that's something he does inside the books, too. He, he'll seed little mysteries, and you're like, oh, man, am I going to get the answer to that? And typically, he is always delivered. So, you know, it, it you want to be skeptical, or I mean, optimistical and go, you know, hey, he's obviously got more stuff coming down the road, maybe more novelizations, maybe that's where that's going to tie in. Because the whole aspect of why Damien had a Sith eye from birth and, and a blue eye, none of that was mentioned. You know, there was a lot of that stuff that wasn't there yet. And, and I think about how, like, with Lost Tribe of the Sith, they did something similar when they brought in uh, Jed and, and or Jeb or whatever his name was, the uh, Jedi that was on the planet. And, and that story arc, how it kind of, like, ran its fruition and got touched on one last time at the very end story. But, you know, you almost was like, well, what was the point of that? But, you know, I, I like the fact that he has always come back and delivered. And so I, I stay optimistical that maybe there will be some kind of delivery down the road in another comic or in another novel. It does seem like he's starting to work more into the novel uh, forum here. And so in that case, it's like, well, with the recent stuff, like our last episode with, with Lucas selling Lucasfilm, you know, I mean, could could we not see John doing any more of these comics? I mean, maybe that's why he's starting to do more books, and maybe that'll be the way he gets to tell the tale. I mean, there, there's a lot of that aspect now that I got to try start applying to how I'm thinking about how these books are going to get written and published. I mean, with that not hanging in the air, I'd say, oh, well, obviously he's got something down the road coming. But now it's like, well... That's there. So maybe the comics are done. Maybe he's starting to get into the books so he can tell that story in the books. Because you're right. There is a lot of that that is built up that wasn't delivered upon. And the man has been very good, for me anyway, delivering in the end. So I, I want to stay positive that there's got to be something down the road where he's at least got a plan. And he's hoping they say, hey, you ready to come back and finish? And he says, yes, because that just seems like his forte. <laughs> Oh, crap. I'm sorry. I, w I was looking at, at Kara on the first couple pages of, of the original storyline, and I felt like talking to her in her own language. Um, wow. You mentioned the artwork stuff. I'm flipping through here as we're talking, and the artwork in this series was all over the place. Um, and some of it quite good. Some of it, what were they thinking? Um, it, there was never the nose thing for me when it came to the original storyline, but it was like her chin... They weren't quite sure where it was. Does she have one? Does she not? Does she have sort of the baby fat thing going on so her entire face is rounded? Or is there a very pronounced chin? Apparently it depends on what expression she has as it changes the size of her chin from normal to leno at any given time. Uh, just to run through here with these artists and to, to give some impressions on them. And maybe this is something where we could get a little more specific about the art as we have in some of the other series. Uh, a Flame starts out with art by Federico Deloccio, if I'm saying that correctly. And he is really good at, it's almost like a painted-looking art style, really good at the troopers in their armor, good at the aliens, good at the action sequences and framing the different Chips. shots. But when it comes to the faces, good God, what is he doing? Um, I mean, it seems as though, again, Kara keeps changing how she looks depending on 
the, the camera angle. You know, it's sometimes we joke about the fact that, that it seems as though some of these characters have photo references. Like in Star Wars Union, it seemed like they were using characters like uh, actors like Bruce Willis as the models for the way that certain characters were drawn. But at least that makes them feel consistent. It didn't feel as though Kara was consistent throughout the first couple of issues, but by the time we get to issue number three, that's not a big deal anymore because all of a sudden, we have a new artist involved. Now, it's Ivan Rodriguez. And Rodriguez does a pretty good job. I think it's actually probably my favorite art of Knight Errant. Uh, kind of dark, got the heavier, darker lines to it, so it definitely feels like the uh, atmosphere you get from the story itself. Kara looks consistent. She looks consistently like a female, but at the same time, she is not overly sexualized at all in the way that she is drawn. You know, does her chest cause her uh, her suit to puff out a tiny bit? Yeah, but not in a demonstrable way. More just a matter of, you know, if it didn't do that, it would look weird. You know, he's doing it as she is a normal, athletic human being. She is not a supermodel. She is also not a an amorphous blob of any kind. That worked really, really well. Then we move to Deluge. And Deluge has art, at least to start with, by Iben Coelho. I mean, constantly switching between different artists in this series. In that case, it goes a little more cartoony. The hair is a little more wild on the different characters. Um, you can kind of get kind of the sense of fun out of it that you don't get necessarily with the previous art because it was so dark. So it's not quite as brooding, but at the same time, you know, it works. It's, it seems like a little more active, you know. Um, but then you get pages like, if you look at issue number two of Deluge, uh, right before you wind up seeing the shot of them in space with these new starfighters, uh, with the Devil Squadron, it says, soon on the way out of the Aquilaris system. Run it back by one page. And there's a situation in which she's talking to an old friend of hers. And I'm sorry, it is a six-panel page for this conversation, and there is almost no detail whatsoever. Kara barely has a face. She has a dot for eyes, a dot for mouth, and that's about it. There's no emotion seen except in the poses. It's ridiculously non-detailed. My students who are into art would do better art than that. It feels like it is a... Uh, not not sloppy, but a lazy way of approaching some of these further off shots to not include any detail whatsoever. That bothered me from that. Uh, we had David Daza come in with Deluge for the end of that series, who did a really good job of capturing Odeon, uh, very, very much a sort of comic book style artwork, so to speak, for Kara. Probably my second favorite art in the entire series. Uh, yes, a lot of the characters look similar, but their hairstyles and uh, such make it different enough. And he does a pretty good job of giving us Damon in a way that makes him actually look somewhat menacing. So that one, no big complaints there, just you know, unusual that they would change it again. And then, of course, we wind up with yet another artist, the final artist in the series, Marco Castillo, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, for Escape. And... In his case, he does, you know, faces interestingly. You know, you definitely get the sense of what the characters are thinking, what the characters are feeling. His bizarre thing is that he constantly feels the need to make sure we see the outline of the entirety of Kara's breasts in every single possible shot that she is in. Constantly. It doesn't matter what pose she's in, there's the boobies. Because, well, we gotta remember that she's a female character, don't you know? This is also the same art that wound up bringing in, granted, 
in one case it was mostly on the cover, the clone trooper armor, 2,000 years early for the cover of Escape Number 4, though that was not him doing the artwork, and on the interior art, somehow apparently the Republic gunships from the Clone Wars existed back in Sith space during this era. What, you couldn't come up with some other designs to use for these ships? Unless this is something we were meant to somehow see as, as a hint of what's to come, maybe there's a time rift or something, and that's where they get the ideas later on for what goes on in the Clone Wars. The art was all over the place, and to uh, put a final nail in the coffin with it, if you were to take the novel, which has cover art by, gosh, does it say who did the cover art anywhere? Oh, I'm skimming, 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 and I am not seeing it. Uh, at least not, uh, hang on, let me you know, cut this. I'm looking for the damn art. There it is. Sorry. And then it's sort of the icing on the cake. The cover of the novel is by John Van Fleet, and he draws Kara in a way that is different than every other interpretation of Kara. It seems as though, from an art standpoint, this series was all over the place, had zero consistency, and I think that harmed the series. I found myself more taken aback by big art changes and the way that certain art nuances, like what was happening in Escape, uh, were carried out, and it kicked me out of the story repeatedly. This was a series that deserved better. It had better promise, better ideas. John Jackson Miller's writing, granted, he didn't get too much in-depth with broader storylines yet, but if he was going there, then he was certainly building towards something. But it seemed like, for whatever reason, Dark Horse, when it came to the art, really just wasn't willing to put consistency ahead of maybe time. I don't know why they would consistently jump between all these different artists, but the only constant was change, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Another thing, though, that the novel and Influx did was they described Kara as being dark-skinned. And yet the comics show her looking very Caucasian. And I brought that up originally. And I, I'm not sure if it was Stradley or Miller. One of them commented back or tweeted me back saying that, uh, think Selma Hayek. I was like, oh, okay. Well, then that makes a little more sense. Uh, you know, another interesting thing, though, about the book, the novelization of Night Errant, was that it actually had a, a demo or a little excerpt of the comic in it. And I think that's the only comic we have in a paperback book. If, I mean, I may be mistaken. There may be one other. I, I obviously don't have it, but as far as I know, that's the first that I've ever seen. I, I admit there were, there were moments like the nose in the first and then there were the, the lack of faces. I, I missed that until you pointed it out and I noticed a couple more in that as I was flipping through. I was like, okay. But I actually, I liked for the most part the colors and the lines that were going on in the series for the, all the way through. I mean, with Deluge, we had the uh, the Vipers from uh, Battlestar Galactica look to the ships. I thought that was kind of interesting. But the Lardies did give me pause when we saw all these these ships and stuff that that looked very much like what Palpatine drags out. But then I start thinking more in a, in a in an overall EU aspect, and I think, okay, well, we've got this old Sith Emperor who, in a sense, has done everything Emperor Palpatine is going to do and more, and it. Kind of in that regard, it doesn't surprise me to see a bunch of ships and stuff that looked like this that Palpatine then later brings back in, or, or you know, not even him, but even the Republic still uses. I mean, there's some function to it. I mean, I think about the 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 lightsaber itself came from the Force saber, you know, which was a dark side thing, and yet here's another situation where the Sith show us these army model types and stuff of ships and and vehicles that functioned very well, so well that obviously the Republic continued to use them after the fact. Even though they were a symbol of the Sith, 
they end up becoming a symbol of hope and peace because the Republic used them to their advantage. I don't know. That's just me trying to retcon away the fact that they were there. I agree. It was a little bit lazy. And and that probably, I think, is is my issue with the art. I like the art, but there was a, a, a lazy aspect to the fact that they were swapping out people so often. And maybe it's the fact that most of them have names that I can hardly pronounce, and so I'm afraid to say their names, and so I, I don't pay attention to that that often. And I didn't notice it, because for the most part, it seemed like they were the same artist because the one artist in the first arc had changed the way he was doing things so often. I just got used to that, I guess. I mean, you know, you mentioned in Deluge, I, I thought Deluge had a very uh, gritty look to the way it was drawn, almost kind of like uh, dark times, uh, that kind of grittiness to the, the art, the darkness and everything. But overall, I, I actually, I, I thought the story and stuff was, was a fun ride. I just, I, I kind of, and more upset that they ended it. I really did not expect it to end. I, I I expected them to give us arcs worth of 50 comics worth. I mean, I was really seeing the story progressing there. You know, with what happened in the book, they set that sector up to tell a lot more than what the comic has told us. And and to me, that is the, the delivery, the payoff that has yet to come. Uh, and, and if they don't give us that, I, I, I'm in that same boat with you. But I'm staying optimistic that that it's going to come. I mean, there, there's so much more that could be coming out of this series. And then for them to say it's done, it, it's right up there with invasion for me. I'm like, you calling this an ending? This isn't an ending. This is a, this is a, an intermission at best. Yeah, very much. So uh, a last note on the art, the art here was so inconsistent that I got to be honest with you. The only way that I am able to uh, picture Kara Holt when I look back and do any rereading of anything from, say, the novel, or even kind of trying to put things together as I'm writing summaries for the comics, the only way I'm able to do that is to picture the person who did the official cosplay stuff for Kara Holt. I believe her name is Madison Geisler, I think. Um, but she had won a contest, basically, to be Kara Holt uh, as a, a costumed fan. And that, at least, gives you something consistent. The one time we've ever seen Kara Holt as a real human being, as opposed to being artwork, then th that's the image. You can't over-exaggerate someone in real life. There is a human being to use as the way to base the mental image off of. It's very much like, say, when you read the novels with Luke, Han, and Leia, you're picturing them the way you would picture Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and so on. Uh, at least that gave us something, because the artwork was was crazy nuts. Um, I would say, as far as the whole thing with the Calamandra and the Charge Matrica and all this stuff about Sith space and the family squabbles and everything that was set up in the Night Errant novel and how it really didn't get picked up in the comics, I want to say they probably they took the Dark Horse mantra recently and they said, you know what? We need to make things accessible. You know, we, yes, we made this novel to tie into the comics, and the comics will tie into the novel, and the idea is that these will together weave into something bigger. But they took that whole, well, we need to make it accessible. We can't make it so that if you don't read the novel, you can't understand the comics or vice versa. So much so that we wind up with a situation where the novel and its huge revelations mean virtually nothing in the grand scheme of things of the comics. When these other Sith start showing up briefly in the comics, I would imagine someone who didn't read the novel and only read the comics are wondering who the hell are these people and why are we supposed to care? You know, especially at the end of Escape, Vilia Calamandra is calling the other Sith to go after Odeon and stop him from using the Helm of Ieldis. Wonderful! Who the hell is this old lady who's giving orders to the other Sith? If you're going to give us something meant to tie together, tie it together. 
allow it to tie more closely together. Is it possible that John Jackson Miller was going to tie it together more closely in the future had the series continued? I would like to think so. I would hope so. I would think that with the way that we've seen his storytelling in Knights of the Old Republic and seen his storytelling with Lost Tribe of the Sith, that this wasn't his call to distance the comics so much from what he had also set up himself in the novel. But somewhere along the way, it almost felt as though the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, even though both hands belonged to the same writer. I'm wondering who set the course that caused these to essentially be running, instead of uh, coinciding with each other and constantly crossing over with each other, instead sort of running parallel. Yeah, they're on the same track. Yeah, it's the same characters. But as far as connecting those different things that are the big ideas that should be connected, yeah, not so much. Who came up with the idea to do that and squander the greatest potential this series had from the get-go? Now, you know, you said you wanted to get away from art. I had just one last art question, because I'm pretty sure you, like me, have every one of these singles. Uh, which is the best and which is the worst cover art for you? I would say that for the worst, it's going to be one of two possibilities. And the same thing for best. Uh... As cool as the cover to Escape Number 4 looks, the fact that it's got freaking clone troopers pisses me off. So, yeah, that would go under there because of how jarring it is. I would also say Deluge Number 4, uh, where it says Alone Against the Storm, and it's Kara kind of running with that ball of a world behind her with the lightning and such. Um, as cool as that looks, it made much more sense to be a one-sheet poster kind of thing, as it was also created, as opposed to being the cover of a comic. Because it just felt odd compared to the rest of them. That one looks more like a pin-up one-sheet. The other ones look like they're actual action shots of some kind. As for the best, I would go between two. One because it's cool what they did, and one because of just the look of the cover. Uh, my absolute favorite cover has to be Escape Number 2. Kara as Mercy uh, in the black robes and stuff, looking like an actual human being on the cover, where you can see some detail to her face with a red lightsaber amongst all the wreckage behind her. A close runner-up because of what they did, not because of necessarily the cover itself, was Knight Errant Aflame number three. Because Knight Errant Aflame number three was the one where they took the old uh, Ralph McQuarrie sketch of Luke versus Vader, or I guess Starkiller versus Vader, and they redid that with Kara versus Odeon. I thought that was a really cool concept, and I really wish they had done that more often, frankly. Yeah, actually, that that... that... That was one that was on my potential, and actually, in that same light of potential, uh, Knight Errant Deluge Number One had that kind of retro uh, war bonds type feel to it as well. Uh, for me, I had I had two that I went back and forth on for my worst, but they were both in Deluge. Uh, I, you know, I was kind of leaning toward Deluge Number Five. I can't stand the way Kara was drawn in that one, but really, it came down to Number Two in Deluge. I just that the way she is in there, the way her arms are, the way her like, I don't know. She almost looks like she's got like an orc head going on. I just really can't handle that look on her. It bothers me to no end. Now, as for my all-time favorite, it was right there with you. Number two, hands down, was it. Uh, I just, I loved the look. I, I, I really liked when she became Mercy and the way that the art and everything looked. I liked the way her, her as a character. I mean, granted, yeah, you know, you point out that her, her breasts are kind of bulging out of every shirt, but I don't, maybe that's why. I don't know. I hadn't thought of that. I just I thought I liked the fact that it was dark. She was dark. She looked angry. Her eyes had like the Sith sheen to them. You know, even the cover of that one, you know, Kara Holt joins the Sith. It's like, oh, 
whoa, it, it, from that point on, I was thinking, you know, this series is just hitting its stride. I didn't think that was the end. That, you know, that really threw me. Um, and, and then this is going to lead to the next one for you. And I'll, I'll get my answer first. Which was your favorite arc of the three comic arcs? For me, I'm going to have to say Escape. I felt that that one had the most revelations. It added the most depth to it. And I thought that the character had the most on the line pretending to be a Sith. I really was like, oh, she could fall. You know, she could fall hard. Yeah, I'm absolutely there with you. Escape was the best of the arcs. And at that point, we had grown to care about Kara. You know, I mean, when I read the novel, for instance, we'd only had a flame. I'm not even sure a flame was totally done at that point, if I remember correctly. And, you know, she was that petulant child, constantly doing things that had she been in Anakin's time, she would have given Anakin a run for his money as far as being disobedient or as far as uh, deviating from the Jedi path and yet still claiming to be a Jedi in the things that she was doing. Uh, Escape, we get to see her in a in a desperate position. We know her and like her as a character. The revelations that are being made about her family put other things into focus and give her some personal stakes where we can care about what's going on. I do think the ending was a little bit sort of a pat ending. And definitely the beginning of she's working with Damon now out of nowhere was like, wait, what? I'm not sure if we needed to see that as something maybe as a bridge story between Deluge and this one. But to go from Deluge, which was, if you'll pardon the pun, an extremely watered-down story for this saga, to, for lack of a better term, everything seemed like it was just kind of going at half speed for that story. To go straight from that into Escape, with her working with Damon, kind of is a, is a knee-jerk sort of, wait, wh what? What did you say? It's whiplash from a storytelling standpoint. But yeah, Escape... I would almost dare say that if Escape had existed on its own as a storyline and we hadn't had a flame or Deluge, we had just had the novel, maybe the novel gave us a little bit more about Kara's background, that would have served Knight Errant better than giving us multiple arcs leading up to something that will not see fruition. Yeah, that leads me to think about the fact that, you know, if there was something bigger going on, I would almost say it, it lies in the heart of the novel that what we saw in the novel kind of sets up the real target. And what we saw in these first three arcs was her taking down one of the siblings, you know, like maybe, maybe I'll come back to it and we'll just slowly watch her have a quest where she takes down the entire family, you know, and, you and know, slowly rids it. And you notice the way that she took him down, the way she takes down Odeon. Remember, wait, this is why we give you spoiler warnings, folks. The way she takes down Odeon at the end of escape is, I mean, it's barely even her doing it. You know, she gets Yulon to go to this... Basically what's happening, if you haven't read it, Odeon has this thing called the Helm of Aeldis. It's what Kara's family was trying to keep out of Sith hands, but it's the reason why the family was attacked in the first place. That block on, on Aquilaris was attacked because of the meeting of Vanar Trace and... Uh, who are Jedi, who included some Jedi researchers, and Kara's parents. In attacking there, he was trying to get his hands on the research that would point him to the Helm of Aeldus. The Helm of Aeldus is something that's sort of this ancient artifact, the ancient Sith artifact, that when you're wearing it, you essentially are allowed to project emotions. Like, you feed off the, the emotions of others. Misery is what Odeon tries to feed off of. And you project that into others. In his case, he has this weird condition where the existence of other beings is a constant pain to him through the Force. So he wants to use it to use misery to cause misery and cause essentially beings to destroy each other until there's nothing left of living beings in the universe and so forth. Um, by the time we get to the end, we've met Yulon, who is one of these members of his, his forces, 
who happens to be someone who in and of himself thinks that there's nothing to live for. So by the time we get towards the end, she's sort of convinced him there is something to live for, and that is this orphanage he keeps visiting, if you want to call it that. It's essentially this place where children who have been taken from their families, or whose families have died, are kept in these isolated bubbles, uh, educated by an artificial intelligence system, never interacting with each other, never interacting with other beings, um, so they can be bred into these miserable beings to eventually become soldiers for Odeon. And in the end, as they go to that place to feed off the apparent misery of all these children, which initially didn't seem like misery, except, oh, they turned off the lights, the kids are freaking out, that's misery, he's going to use that to cause all kinds of destruction on a massive galactic scale, amplified by the helm. And Kara convinces Yulon to basically go in there and not only turn the lights back on and stop their misery, but essentially shut down the things that are keeping them separated from each other so that these kids can finally be around other kids for the first time in their memory, presumably, uh, in their young lives. And the happiness that comes from that, the joy that comes from that, causes feedback through the helm, and basically that kills Odeon. Odeon has been killed by happiness! <laughs> I mean, yeah, he explodes in a sense. I mean, that... That was what to me was weird. You know, they don't, well, it's not he explodes. The energy comes and blows off him and he's like burning, burning up the life, the happiness, too much, too much. And you're just like, wait. And then she busts out the lights and you're like, is she going to, is she going to off him? You know, I, was, I really was like, do it. You know, at that point I was like, just do it. I want to see you do it. I was expecting him to be like rolling on the ground going, and clowns and Ewoks, I can see their visions in my head, too cute. Must. I mean, I wanted him to just off himself at that point. You know, if happiness is what is is burning out his mind, to be able to say that too much happiness can kill kind of makes you go, huh, I wonder if there's a metaphor there. But I'm not sure they were going well, for a metaphor with it. It would have made more sense to me if he had gotten so overloaded by this that the man who was all about destruction as the ultimate release would have killed himself in the end by committing suicide with his own lightsaber. Like, maybe he pulled it out. And you think he's going to go after Kara? Instead, he kills himself with it, and she says, you know, that was a, a, a righteous end to this Sith. And instead, it's more like, oh, my brain is burning out with all the cutesiness. Help! Teddy bears. Well, I, I mean, okay, I'm thinking of it like Anakin Solo, okay? Anakin Solo used his joy, he used his love, he used all that stuff in Star by Star to draw on the Force like never before, and that light side act killed him. It destroyed his body. So could not that be the same thing? Like that because of the joy he's opening to the light side of the force in a way he's never done before. And because he's attuned to the dark side, it is just destroying him. I mean, that to me, I think is the only way I can, I can rationalize it is that it had to have been the light side just ate him up from the inside. Kind of similar to what happens to Palpatine in uh, his spirit in uh, Empire's End. Kind of. It just, it seemed odd. And the Again, way it's that explaining, right? I mean, if they'd explained it better, it might've worked. I mean, I think it still works. It just doesn't work quite as well as it could have taken under other circumstances. And it's not, I mean, it's a death that is also rendered less impactful to me by the way that Kara is responding to all of this. Uh, aside from the fact that she's not the one who actually causes it to happen. She's sort of the, the two steps removed of causing it. She's the impetus for Yulon to act, and Yulon acting is what winds up causing the harm to come uh, to Odeon. I mean, she's busy fighting against, what's his name, Wayman or whatever, while he's using the helm to try to draw all this this pain to him. But as far as Kara is concerned, uh, he 
while he is is sort of burning, he says, you know, I'm dying, save me, take me away from here to Jubilee. They can help me there, help me save the realm. You have to do it. My enemies are coming, Kara. They'll tear the Odeonate apart. And she answers, yes, they will. I don't believe in replacing one evil with another, but for you, I'll make an exception. Okay. You nearly destroyed everything that exists just to feel better. You can't be fixed. That is a cool little message there as far as like his nihilism and such. Unlike most of your slaves, my parents' deaths meant something. So will yours. And he responds with the tantalizing you know, hint about what's going on with her missing sibling that she finds out about through this recording from her parents. He says, wait, your parents, they had their child. I can help you find your sibling. I have no idea why you'd want that, but if you do, you have to save me. If the realm collapses, they'll scatter. You must. And her answer is, you still don't get it. They're all my brothers and sisters. Okay, and then we jump to the end. And she says, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, well, you take the kids, she's talking to Yulon, you take the kids to the Republic and I'll bring their parents to them, just like I have been doing, one or a thousand at a time. I found my parents, and I always have their last message to me. I'll find their parents, too. And Yulon says, Wayman wasn't the real claimer, Kara Holt. You are. We were good as dead. I was dead, and you saved me. I'll be back, and I'll be bringing help. At which point she says, Travel safely, General. That's my family you're carrying. Okay, could we maybe have gone a little lighter on the whole? Well, because she has no family left. See, all these orphans, they're like kind of sort of her family too, cutesy crap. That felt to me, I mean, it, it makes sense, but it's done in such a heavy-handed fashion, just in those couple of pages. And it's so much in an opposite direction of all of her wondering, worrying, and trying to find the truth about her parents and this sibling, that it kind of felt like, again, the Disney-style ending. You know, this is the... You know, because it's on ABC, we will end it with a cute ending instead of a depressing one because this ain't Fox and this ain't 24, folks. This is a different channel. It was kind of a a jarring way to end it. I guess maybe they wanted to end it on a positive note that feels like it's a little broader than just a positive note to end the series. That Kara has now come into her own and she now feels as though it is her responsibility to help everyone. She's there by choice, not because she was left behind. Isn't that wonderful? Instead, it comes off as, wow, that is a heavy-handed way of turning what could have been a dark yet satisfying ending into something cutesy and less satisfying. I think that that, that ending serves to show that even though Escape was the darkest point for her, because, you know, I was expecting her to fall, at the end, she claims the heritage of the Jedi, that she recognizes that everyone in that sector is her responsibility. You know, that, that to me, I think is what she means by the family and she's staying behind. She's going to do what's right. You know, she's not going to turn away even though she saved him. I, but I agree. It, it came out of nowhere. And I think the reason why it really irks me is, is the whole it's done. I mean, if I knew there was another art coming, I could be okay with this, but knowing this is the end, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? There's, there's so much more that could have happened here. I mean, that, that, I guess I guess that gets my next question for you. Which is the better story, Escape versus the novel Night Errant itself? Which one of those is better? Well, if it's Escape or the novel, I think Escape wins. Because we care about Kara in that, and her motivations are clear. Yes, she may be kind of uh, snarky in it, but it makes sense with the circumstances in which she is uh, thrust. As opposed to the novel, in which she just seems like she's kvetchy with everybody, 
for little apparent reason. I don't feel like the Night Errant novel gave us much characterization at all for Kara or reason to care about the character. If I hadn't cared about her previously from having read the comics, at least a little bit of caring, I would not have liked her character at all in the Night Errant novel. We talked about that, me and Andrew, uh, back when doing, I think Kelly Adams may have been on there with us, back for the EU review. It just, the, the novel in a vacuum does not have a likable protagonist, but has an awesome concept, whereas the comic series in a vacuum has a likable protagonist, more or less, um, but has a concept that somewhat fell flat because of the potential that was squandered not going into something bigger and more uh, encompassing for Sith space. I actually, I, I mean, I, it's hard for me because I actually really enjoyed the novel. Um, I, I found that the portrayal of Karen there for me worked. It, it seemed more along the lines of what we had in Influx. You know, very much somebody that, that felt like she did know what was going on, but in reality was way out of her depth. Uh, what, what about her for you in the, in the novel really, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, turned you off? She just seemed like she was angry with everyone and everything. Even when someone tried to do or say something nice, she had to snap at them. And most of her actions, well not most, many of her actions were actions that with any other Jedi would have been considered dark side actions. Or at least actions that if they took them, there'd be some commentary of the character thinking about the fact that they're leaning a little too close to the dark side, I must be careful. She had none of that introspection. Instead, she was doing all these things that felt like they were leaning towards dark side, and there was never any worry that she was actually slipping towards the dark side. She was just doing these acts, and the audience was left saying, wait, isn't that kind of a dark side thing to do? And it would have been nice if the character herself were as aware of what she was doing as the audience was. Hmm. See, I, and I thought that was kind of the point, was you know for the audience to draw those conclusions. Though I, I, I do agree that they maybe should have brought somebody in to kind of bring that up for Because I think the point was that she didn't even notice it. And I think that, for me, with, with Escape, is why the ending works the way it does. Because I, I really did. I really thought, you know, because of how she'd been portrayed up to that, that her fall was very ready. I really expected her it to end with her falling to the dark side and the next arc be about somebody trying to redeem her. But that didn't happen. And, and so I, I think it's more like, you know, yeah, they put her in a place and she was of the mind where she could have easily have fallen. But yet somehow through the, the acts and everything that happened, in the end, she managed to stay true to the light. I, and I think that, that for me is the, the happy lining of that story. But, you know, it, it could have probably been served a little better to have somebody there going, hey, you know, this is wrong. We know that the Jedi are, are doing this wrong or, or the, the Jedi would think what you're doing is wrong. You know, that, that, that could have definitely helped the story, I'm sure. Uh, it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, there's definitely different takes on it. Because I, I, I knew you didn't really care for her in the novel, and I, and I saw a lot of people felt that way, but I, I thought it worked. I, I really felt that from what I got from Influx, you know, she was cocky enough because because Vanner let her get away with a lot of stuff that normal masters probably wouldn't have let her do. She was going on a mission, which she probably might not have been really ready for at that moment, and then everybody dies, and she's you know thrust into one of the worst scenarios for any Jedi to be in, let alone one that's really green behind the ears, and it really is suffering from parent issues on top of it all. You know, there was a lot going on for the character. So I, I felt like her brattiness worked in the book. I, I kind of wish that that came across more in the comics. I mean, it kind of did in the first arc. I mean, by the time the flame was over, they kind of moved from that. She, her, her anger kind of went more at the people in the area. I mean, it was kind of like 
like she was reacting to the environment and the environment was so Sith that she had no choice but to be negative. I guess, but that doesn't tend to be the way that Star Wars deals with characters thrust into those types of situations. They tend to hold more tightly to the light because of the darkness surrounding them, with the one exception, or I guess two exceptions, being Ulick Keldroma and Luke Skywalker in the cases in Dark Empire and Tales of the Jedi, albeit reversed. I said those in the opposite order here. Um, and in those cases, they did fall to the dark side. They did wind up becoming, you know, uh, pawns of another Sith Lord. Ulick to Exar Kun and Luke to the Emperor Reborn. So, I don't know. To ha if, if Kara would have gone dark and had to fight her way back from it, that could have been a very interesting storyline. Maybe that was where they were eventually going to wind up going. Um, but there's so much potential for this setting, for this character, and for the world building that John Jackson Miller did, which is something he is incredible at. John Jackson Miller's world building skills, I would put on par with the world building skills of folks like with uh, the team behind the Old Republic. Uh, because uh, the, the the MMO, because he is really good at giving us concepts, places, uh, relationships between different groups, different characters that give us a very dynamic era in which to tell stories and location in which those stories could be told. And yet, we didn't see that pay off. Um, I don't know, it felt like they were kind of playing it more safe than perhaps one should. And this should have been one of the series that would keep going, right? I mean, what does Dark Horse keep saying? It needs to be accessible. So the, you know, once a comic series gets up into like the 70s and 80s like Republic did, it's time to stop that. So we're going to number them all now in just story arcs. But even then, uh, people need something fresh. There's an era without a lot of stories being told, at least not at this point, as opposed to a little while later. And it's an era in which they'd only told at this point three story arcs from one comic series and one novel. This should have been one that fit with the Dark Horse philosophy to continue forward. I wonder if why it was canceled was because they felt like it had, what was it they said about Invasion? They had reached a, 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 a satisfying, yeah, conclusion. satisfying conclusion. Satisfying was the word that they used. Or if it was a matter of they wanted John Jackson Miller to be writing Kenobi, and they knew that it wouldn't work time-wise somehow or something if he didn't wind up ending Knight Errant in order to jump off into Kenobi. Either way, the series didn't fulfill its potential, and it had the potential to actually be something like what Dark Horse claims that they want. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing to me. You know, if you were going to wrap it up in such a small frame of time, why not put this in the Old Republic? It could have easily gone there. I mean... <laughs> I thought the whole purpose was because they were building an era right next to a couple other eras to kind of continue the the Sith progression. Because, I mean, to, to me, that's kind of what you, you're getting with these stories. You're really getting this, the story of the Sith. You're finding out what how they evolved. I mean, John gave us the, the a Sith family. I mean, that, I mean, when that revelation came up in the book, I was like, whoa, wait, what? This is all a internal family feud? Wait a minute. But it works because you just get the, you just have the last Sith Empire just collapse upon itself. The, the Cold War just gets done. The Sith are again reeling and in chaos. And now you've got this family that kind of steps up and it bridges again the next gap before we get to the next incarnation of the Sith. And I, I mean, that to me is what the past is all about right now is telling the Sith's tale. Um, but you know, I, I mean, we could probably come back to this another time and continue on. There's so much about this stuff. And, and again, with it wrapping up like it did, it makes it easier for us to wrap up right now, which 
we're going to have to do, boys and girls. It's again that time. And remember, you can listen to our show airing on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as streaming on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. You can also type Star Wars Beyond the Films in our search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. And we enjoy interacting with you. Not only can you post comments to us while you're listening to the show, you might actually be heard on our show. Each month, if we have enough feedback, we have a feedback episode. That's right, you can fire off your emails to us at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Also remember, you can catch us on Twitter, also at SW Beyond Films. So, once again, this has been Nathan P. Butler. And Mark N. Whistler. Thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That we'll ever see Kara Holt again. Or that the Charge Matrica will ever freaking pay off. Exactly. <laughs> Or the family feud will come to an end like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Where's Steve Harvey when you need him? you got here let's get the show started i am one of your hosts nathan p butler with me as always my stalwart companion and he says you know i'm dying save me take me away from here to jubilee they can help me there help me save the realm you have to do it my enemies are coming kara they're t- they'll tear you have to do it my you have to do it my enemies are coming kara they're t- son of a bitch.